Welcome to the house of the Lord. My name is Dr. James Saxon. I'm affectionately known in these parts as Dr. J. And every once in a while, they let me speak in these services, so I'm glad to be here with you this morning. I was just over in the new members class um, welcoming that group to the church, and I apologize for walking in the service late. Uh, we're going to continue our study this morning of 1 Samuel, the life of David, as it's found in 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible handy, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, and we will read a good section of this chapter, and uh, I'll then go back over the content of this chapter with you, and then we'll draw some practical applications or implications from this story. <clears throat> now, the life of David begins... Uh, or comes to the front and center in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel when God becomes disenchanted with Saul and he turns away from Saul and he sends Samuel to anoint David as king. And uh, the first message concerned itself with the anointing of David as king, which was a very unsuspecting thing because David was the youngest of eight children and the older children looked like better candidates to be king of Israel. But God said, no, don't look at outward appearance, but look upon the heart. And so David was anointed king. Then in chapter 17, uh, David, as a young ruddy lad who had beautiful eyes and was handsome in appearance, has been anointed this new king. Uh, he emerges on the battlefield and goes head-to-head -head with a giant by the name of Goliath. And in the most improbable ways, David slays that giant and saves Israel from the scorn and the, the gloom that was the dark cloud that was over Israel for that time, thinking there's no one who could take this guy out. But this young warrior, David, was able to do that in a most unlikely way. And so David uh, now emerges from behind the shadows where he's been anointed king and now he's front and center as this young warrior who just did the impossible, won a winner-take-all one-to-one contest with a giant named Goliath. And so David is now front and center in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel. So we're now going to look at chapter, the last part of chapter 17 and all of chapter 18 today. And if I could give you a single sentence summary of this chapter, what we're about to see is the demise of Saul and the rise of David. And those two themes will be contrasted in this chapter. So if you've got your Bibles open or your iPhones turned to this passage, let's look at the last two verses of chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17. We'll start at the 57th verse, and then we'll read through the 16th verse of chapter 18. <clears throat> let's hear the word of the Lord together. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, along with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered or behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants." 
And it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they played, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but, but to me they've ascribed only thousands. Now more, what, what more can he have but the kingdom itself? And Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand, as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David was prospering in all of his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the living God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord, lift out of this passage um, some insights for all of us that are Holy Spirit-directed and that will move each one of us, wherever we are, a step further down our journey and a step closer to you in that journey so that we can understand the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and be one whom God promises to be with. In the name of Jesus, we pray and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Okay, the book of Samuel. This book records some very dramatic moments in the history of Old Testament Israel. The book of Samuel follows Ruth, which follows Judges. And in the book of Judges, there were seven cycles in which the people of God lived for in obedience to God for a short period of time, then eventually turned away. When they turned away from God, God would try to get their attention by raising up an adversary. Then when the people would cry out for deliverance from that menacing adversary, God would relent, show mercy, and raise up a judge who would deliver them. And in those days, there was no king in Israel. The judges just more or less were called upon by God and appointed by God to rescue his people when he needed them, but God served as their king. But in 1 Samuel, about chapter 8, the Israelites decided they wanted to be like all the other nations and they wanted a king of their own. And so they went to Samuel and said, we don't want God as our king anymore. Can you imagine what an affront that was? And they said, we want a king of our own. We want to be like the other nations. And Samuel was grieved and like what he heard, but he prayed about it. And God said, no, this is of me. Uh, we're going to give them exactly what they asked for, but let them know that they're going to be sorry that they ever asked. So God gives to them kings. And we start with three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. As you will see from this study on the life of David, Saul was a man with no heart for God. David was a man with a whole heart for God. And Solomon, who succeeded David, was a man with a half-heartedness toward God. 
So under these three kings, the fate of Israel rose or fell upon their leadership. And Saul emerged as one who was of towering physical stature. He quickly marshaled the uh, army, the fighting men of Israel together. They defeated the Philistines, and he granted Israel some security and some relief from the Philistines for a season. But then he began to fudge and to cheat and to resist and ignore what God laid down for him to do through the prophet Samuel. And after several multiple missteps by Saul, God gave up on Saul. And it says in first chapter six, first Samuel 16, verse 14, that God withdrew from Saul. God withdrew from him. Then in chapter, uh, in chapter 17 or chapter 16, uh, David uh, is appointed king in his place, but Saul didn't know that yet. And then in chapter 17, David defeats Goliath. And in chapter 18, David emerges on the scene as a national hero. And Saul has to deal with this guy, David. Now, let's see how Saul handles this. All right, we're told that Saul really didn't even know who David was when he took on the Philistine and delivered the Israelites from the Philistine. And so there was this little meeting that occurred in the last two verses of chapter 17 in which David was personally introduced to Saul. And Saul identified himself as a humble eighth child from the family of Jesse who lived in a very small town called Bethlehem, not known for much back in those days. Now let's pick up the thread of thought in chapter 18. Follow along with me. The first few verses tell us that God gave to David at this point in life a very important addition. God gave to David a friend. And this friend came or was named Jonathan. And Jonathan was not just a, another fellow Israelite, but he also was a great warrior like his father Saul. So he was a son of the king Saul and was a prince and was heir to the throne of Israel in place of Saul when Saul would one day move on. But God knit strategically the heart of Jonathan to David, and a friendship was formed. And I want you to notice how it describes it, and we'll come back to this in just a minute. Notice what a true friend Jonathan was. It says, Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And it twice says that Jonathan loved David as he loved himself, the mark of a true friend. Then it goes on to say that Jonathan initiated a covenant with David, which was a form of specific commitment, and this friendship had a very defined parameters to it. And then fourthly, we're told that Jonathan stripped himself of all of his royal privileges. He took off his robe, took his sword, his bow, and he gave all that to David. And that was a subtle way of recognizing that David probably was going to be heir to the throne and not Jonathan. A profound self-effacing act that Jonathan performed for David. So God puts together a friendship with Jonathan, Saul's son, that is, uh, that is unlike very few friendships that we ever experience and very few mentioned in the Bible. But now look what happens. Along with providing David this advocate, notice how Saul becomes David's adversary. Notice how it unfolds. The chapter begins or continues in verse 5 when it says that David was sent out by Saul, and it says wherever he went, he prospered. Now, the word there means to behave wisely in battle. So he, wherever David went out, 
he performed, he continued consistently to perform these amazing acts of military valor, just like he had done with Goliath. So David wasn't a one-off soldier who happened to get lucky and defeat Goliath, but he continued to display military genius. And it says, in everything that Saul sent him out to do, that he behaved wisely. That is, he was a winner. He went out and he always won. And it says that he moved up in the ranks of the military rather quickly. David's probably still in his teens, maybe in his early 20s. And it says that Saul placed him over the men of war. And though he was still such a young lad, his military ability is recognized. And it goes on to say that it pleases the people. Now watch what happens as the political ramifications of David emerging on the scene begin to ripple throughout Israel. We're told that after David defeated Goliath in a very dramatic way, that there were victory celebrations. We would call these today ticker tape parades. And these victory celebrations look like this. It says that all women from all of the cities came together and began dancing together in a parade form. And it says that they had with them all kinds of musical instruments. They had tambourines and they were singing and dancing joyfully and they were celebrating this big victory. Now, in the days of the Roman Empire, whenever a great general went off and conquered an adversary of Rome, he would come back to Rome, and they would give him this great um, victory parade through the streets of Rome, and he would come to the palace and walk up the steps and meet the emperor. But it's interesting to note that in those Roman victory parades, the generals that came back from battle triumphantly and came through the streets of the city, there was a slave who stood in the chariot behind the general, and whispered in his ear, fame is fleeting. Fame is fleeting. Isn't that interesting that that happened? Well, in the same way that the Roman generals marched down the main streets of Rome to victory, here David is uh, being celebrated in a, in a great way, and the, the women are, are really uh, making this thing quite celebrative. And in verse 7, it tells us that they were singing a song, and the song went like this. That Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Now, that was politically sensitive. And what that does is it kind of puts Saul, the great king of Israel, in a little bit of a bad light here. Saul's a great general. He's a great leader. He's, he's secured our nation against the Philistines, but David is even better in terms of his military prowess. And so these women are celebrating that David, while Saul has slain thousands, David has slain his ten thousands. Now, when Saul hears this in verse 8, it says he was not happy. It says he was very displeased or he was angry. And he's thinking to myself, this little upstart who, who just came on the scene, and I've been doing battle on behalf of Israel now for years, and all of a sudden David is now... Uh, the new hero, and he's eclipsing me in ways that I'm not happy with. So uh, if this keeps up and he continues to behave well on the battlefield, which he's shown himself to do, I will be out of a job. In other words, he's going he's to come get my throne. He's going to get my kingdom. So Saul, at this point, is very threatened by David. Look at verse 9. It says, Saul looked, with David, looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now notice how Saul made a critical decision here. Uh, instead of Saul realizing that David was an enormous gift to him, 
who could have handled all the military demands of his day while Saul would have then been freed up to go take care of other matters in the kingdom. Saul was a great, I mean, David was a great gift to Saul, but Saul couldn't see it that way due to his own insecurity about his identity. And instead of seeing David as a gift, he saw him as a threat. And so he begins to see David with suspicion from that day on. Now watch how it progresses from bad to worse. Verse 10. Came about on the next day that along with Saul beginning to see his new, uh, uh, this gift of David as, um, as a gift, he begins to see him with suspicion. The very next day it says that an evil spirit came mightily upon Saul. Now, we're told back in chapter 16 when it says that the the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, it goes on to say that an evil spirit began to terrorize Saul. And so this evil spirit shows up in verse 10, and uh, it says that this evil spirit comes mightily upon Saul. And back in chapter 16, it says the spirit of God came mightily upon David. And here it's saying that this evil spirit is coming mightily upon Saul, And Saul is running through the palace like a raving lunatic, terrorized by this demonic spirit. And David is playing the harp, trying to calm this scenario down. Because David, when he played the harp, there was a certain sweet melody to what he did. And because he was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, it soothed the heart of Saul, but not this time. And so David was playing the harp, and Saul realizes in his raving lunatic mode that he's got a spear in his hand. And so he thinks to himself, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take David out at this point, and then this whole thing will be over. This competition between me and David that was all nothing more than a figment of Saul's imagination, he says, this whole thing will be over. So he hurls the spear at David, and David escapes from his presence, not once, but twice. Now, can you imagine the political ramifications of Saul killing David just days after David had killed Goliath? It would have totally undermined all of Saul's credibility, what little he had left at that point. But that's just, this is how off-center Saul is in his thinking. So he tries to pin David to the wall unsuccessfully. David escapes. Now look at verse 12. In verse 9, it says that David was, Saul was suspicious of David. Now in verse 12, it says that Saul was afraid of David. For the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul, and Saul knows it. Saul knows that because of his disobedience, he's now on his own and that the favor and blessing of God is resting upon someone else. And this, again, is all of Saul's doing because he turned away from God. So in verse 13, after Saul had invited David into his presence, Saul removes David from his presence and appoints him as a commander of a thousand. And it says that David went out and came in before the people. So David is again being exalted in a public way. And it says in verse 14 that David was prospering, behaving wisely in all of his ways, for the Lord was with him. The Lord who once was with Saul, but now has departed from Saul, is now resting and anointing David. And because God is with David, everything David is doing is prospering. And because David is prospering, look at verse 15, when Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, now he dreads him. So it's gone from suspicion to fear to dread. And so, along with Saul and David becoming increasingly adversarial from Saul's point of view, verse 16 it says, but all Israel and Judah love David. God continues to exalt David in the eyes of the Israelites. And Saul has got this imaginary conflict going 
that will add so greatly to his demise. Now, the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about Saul trying to figure out another way to take David out since his personal attacks on David didn't work. So he tries to send David uh, into battle with the Philistines and hope that the Philistines will take care of him. But they don't. David continues to behave wisely, and he emerges victorious in all of those battles. And remember back in chapter 17, perhaps, maybe you remember this, that, that, that when Goliath was terrorizing Israel, Saul said, these three privileges will be given to anyone who can take out the giant. Number one, he will be granted great riches. His family will be tax-free for the rest of their life. And also, I'll give him one of my daughters. So when David takes Goliath out, we're told in the latter part of chapter 18 that Saul decides to give his, one of his daughters whose name is Merab, I think is her name. We're going to give Merab to David. So now David's going to be married into the Saul, into the family of Saul. But David is really kind of humbled by this and doesn't know what to think of it. And in some mysterious way, this particular daughter is given to somebody else in marriage. But after that, Saul has another daughter named Michelle, or Michelle, whoever you want to pronounce it. And she really was attracted to David. She had a crush on David. And when Saul found out about it, he said, okay, Merab has now married somebody else, but I'll give this other daughter, Michelle, or Michelle, to David, and hopefully she'll become a snare to him. So Saul requires of David that he goes out and he kills a number of Philistines and comes up with a dowry of a hundred dead Philistines so that um, David might pay for his daughter. And back in those days, you paid a dowry when you took the hand of a daughter in marriage. And so David goes out, performs well in battle, and he brings back the scalp, so to speak, of 200 Philistine soldiers. And Saul is hoping that these Philistines are going to take him out. It doesn't happen. David takes them out, comes back and pays the dowry and emerges victorious again. Now look at verse 28. We're toward the conclusion of the chapter. It says, when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michelle, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, even more afraid. And then it says that Saul becomes David's enemy continually. The battle was joined. Saul's heart toward David was, I don't like this guy. I'm at odds with this guy. I'm threatened by this guy. I hate this guy, and I'm going to take him out. But in spite of Saul's opposition and adversarial attitude toward David, look how in verse 30 God continues to prosper David. It says, then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often they went out that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. Now, notice how God is raising up David, because David is, God is with David, and Saul is going in the opposite direction. Saul is in very painful demise. So it represents really the beginning of the end of Saul and the beginning of the beginning for David. Now, from this chapter, let's draw a handful of, shall we say, practical applications. In light of what the Scripture says here, how then should we live? All right, what we're witnessing here are these first two great kings, Saul and David, and we're seeing the demise of one and the rise of another. Now, what's the difference between those two men? We're told repeatedly in this chapter and elsewhere that the blessing of God is resting upon David, and that is the determining factor in the success of David. 
The reason why David is rising and the reason why Saul is in demise is because God has departed from Saul due to his disobedience, and God is blessing David due to his obedience. And God was with David, and because of that, David continues to rise in influence, power, and reputation in Israel. Now, as we live our everyday lives, there should be some simple principles that we always go by. And the simple principle by which we should live as believers millenniums later and centuries later from this passage is that whenever I do whatever I do, I need to make sure that I'm fully centered on the will of God. The peace of God and the the perfect peace of God and the perfect blessing of God rest in the middle of the perfect will of God. So we want to, our guiding compass in life every single day is to stay as centered upon the will of God as we can because that's where the blessing, the peace, and the prosperity of God comes. That's our guiding principle. Get there and stay there. And in this church, that's what we teach new Christians to do. Secondly, notice that success, the success, the remarkable success David had, it was unprecedented. Notice that success always has its detractors. There are always going to be people who try to take away from those who do things well. Now, it's one thing to be threatened by people who mean evil toward us. It's another thing altogether to be threatened by people that are going about doing good, and because they do things so much better than we do them, um, we, get th- we can become threatened by those people. And success, because it, it, it carries with it certain blessings, always has detractors. So there are times in your life where you might have had adversaries or detractors because you did things wrong or you messed things up, and maybe it's legitimate. But there are also times when you do things well, People are going to criticize what you do. And it says nothing about you. The fact that Saul was so hostile to David says nothing about David, but says everything about Saul. So our guiding compass in life cannot be the criticisms of others. Because many times those criticisms are motivated just out of envy or jealousy. Especially when we live our lives under the blessing of God, doing what God asks us to do to the to the best of our ability, that threatens people. And they will find things about our performance just to pick at. And so it was in the life of David. Success always has its detractors, and you can't be defined by your detractors. You can't be defined by those who criticize you. Listen to what they have to say, milk it for what it's worth, and then move on. Do the best you can. Third, I want you to notice that good leaders, really good leaders are not threatened by other gifted people. They're just, they're not. They, they, they have a secure identity in who they are, and when they see somebody else who can do things better than they do it, or as well or better, they're not threatened by that. They see the value of it, and they do everything they can to try to elevate those people into their rightful levels of influence. And many times these people that can do things better than we can do them are gifts to us. And they don't threaten our position. They don't threaten our, our standing. And so good leaders have that ability to recognize the value of others and lift them up, not tear them down. And this is what brought Saul. This is what brought him down so far is that he could not appreciate the value of David and what he represented to him. David could have freed 
uh, Saul up to have had a much easier life, not have to go into battle. Uh, Saul could have given himself to so many other things in, in being the king of Israel, but Saul rather became overly emotionally focused on taking David out because he was such a threat to him that it completely skewed his leadership focus. And jealousy and envy will do that to you. It'll do it to us. Now, let's face it. There are times when people do things so well that we are threatened by that. I've experienced that. I've had people that I've been, I've felt threatened by, and I've had people that I've threatened and the people that I work with. That's kind of the way that it goes. But we have to get through that selfish perspective and come to the place where we realize that God gives people and he gives people the gifts that they have and he has things that he wants them to do and let's flow with that as best we can. Jonathan recognized that and, and, and sidled up to David in a wise way. Saul couldn't get there. Let's be Jonathan's and not Saul's when it comes to recognizing the gifts and the values of others. And notice fourthly that the people of Israel were never confused about David. They saw David for who he was, and they felt good about David because David was a good leader who served the people. And though Saul tried to bring him down, it kept telling us in this passage that in the eyes of the people, he was exalted. And good leaders, regardless of what people say about them, good leaders win and capture the hearts of their followers, and people follow them because they know that their hearts are right and they're just trying to do the right thing. We do well to remember that in a political, the political environment we're in today. And then point number five I want to make to is this. Two more points. Listen closely, <clears throat> especially the men here. No matter how much success you achieve in life, you still need a friend. David achieved unparalleled success in his abilities as a musician. as He gave us a half the book of Psalms. He was a great military leader, the greatest king uh, to reign over Israel. He accomplished all of those things, but David still needed someone to talk to. And leaders today, and we're seeing this on the church scene in America today, leaders, as they rise higher in their organizations, their tendency is to get more and more isolated And isolation causes major problems in terms of temptation. And notice how David needed a friend and he had a friend. And so all of us, no matter where we are and our stations in life, you need someone to talk to. You need a friend. And notice how this lays out what a true friend looks like. It says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. That's that's they had a soul bond. They were soulmates. They shared everything with one another. We need at least one person in our lives in which we can share everything. Then it says, Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. He valued his friend with a self-effacing love. We need someone who loves us as they love themselves. That person we can trust to always tell us the truth and be honest with us and keep us on the straight and narrow. It says that they made a covenant with one another. They verbally committed themselves to one another and to the welfare of one another. Good friends do that. They affirm their commitment to each other, and they're not afraid to state it. They're not afraid to be vulnerable with how much they love one another. And men, we need this. Women, you do this better than we do, but men, uh, we've got to learn to do it. And then lastly, Jonathan stripped himself of all of his future ambitions as heir to the throne and the prince of under the king Saul, and he basically yielded that to David. What an incredibly unselfish thing to do. Took his ego out of it. 
and recognize, unlike Saul, who was insecure and couldn't appreciate it, he saw David for the great leader he was and said, you'll be better at this than I am, so I'm going to let you do it. And that means I don't get to sit on the throne of Israel, but that's okay with me because the people of God and God himself were better served through you and not me. That is unbelievably unselfish. And in our businesses, our neighborhoods, and our families, recognize the value of what others can offer and let's do everything we can to empower people so that they can express themselves to the benefit of others and to the glory of God. And let's be people who push people up and not push people down. And then lastly, keep in mind as we go through this study of the life of David that there are several characters in the Old Testament that are called types. A type was an Old Testament figure that had some great characteristic about them that pointed to Jesus. Through Moses, we got the law. Through David, David was a great king. Abraham demonstrated a certain faith that pointed to the person of Christ. And Isaac was almost sacrificed as Jesus would be sacrificed. In the Old Testament, God gives us hints about the Messiah. And they all point to Jesus. While David was a great man who did amazing things, David was also human. The gravity of his own sin nature, as you will see in the coming weeks, got him into awful scandal and trouble. But there was a part of David that reminds us that one day there will become a Messiah who has it all, who has the character, the leadership, and will do more good for people than all previous leaders combined. And that person is, of course, Jesus. So let's not get into hero worship here in terms of David. Let's not get there too quickly. And the people of Israel saw what they had and they appreciated it, but he was going to disappoint them greatly along the way because he was human. But that part of him that pointed to Christ is the most redeeming side about David. And as David was born in Bethlehem, so Christ was born in Bethlehem. David was born of humble beginnings, so Jesus was born of humble beginnings, born in a stable. Both were shepherds. David shepherded sheep and Jesus shepherded souls. Both were oppressed and persecuted and both responded graciously. And then lastly, both were kings over great kingdoms. David over the kingdom of Israel, and he brought it to a level of prosperity and notoriety nobody else had done before. He was a great and mighty king. But Jesus rules over not the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus rules over the kingdoms of heaven. And his kingdom is not of this world. And he won't ever disappoint you. The Bible says that those who put their trust, those who put their hearts fully in his hands, will never And I repeat the word, never be disappointed. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so David was a great leader, but like all leaders, he will disappoint. He did disappoint. But he pointed to an even greater leader, the person of Jesus, who would come along and serve the interests of millions and billions of people who would never disappoint. This morning, are you a follower or a subject of that king, King Jesus? Do you attempt to center your life upon his will and his dominion and not your own? If you do those things, the Bible promises that as everywhere David went, he prospered. Everywhere you go and everything you do when your life is fully centered on the, on the will of the kingdom of heaven, the Messiah Jesus, your life will prosper.
You'll go through some hard times, but God will turn it. He'll work it. He'll, he'll bring it all together in a way that in the end, it'll make perfect sense to you. So this morning, <clears throat> there is a pathway that we're all invited to walk. And it's a pathway of living under and in submission to this great King Jesus. And David was just a little glimpse of what that true Messiah would one day bring. So let me ask you to bow your heads with me and let's, let's, um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for lacing the pages of your word with so much about this person, <coughs> excuse me, named David. Truly a remarkable individual who had amazing gifts, tremendous courage, but he also, he also had this remarkable dependence upon you. He never trusted in his own gifts, but he knew it was the Lord in the hand of the Lord, the God of Israel, that made him who he was. He never got confused about that. And I pray to the Lord that we would understand that the life we live today, it, it is not about us. But it is about him by whom and through whom we are created. It is about him who was the firstborn from the dead, even Jesus, who died and rose again on our behalf. And it is about him who holds all things together. And it is about him who came to have preeminence in all things, and that is Jesus himself. And when Jesus has preeminence in our lives, we will live and be blessed and prosper in all things, even as David did. Align our hearts this morning, Lord, with these simple realizations. Take us from wherever we are, Lord, to where you want us to be. And let us leave this place today fully centered upon your perfect will, enjoying your perfect peace, enjoying your perfect blessings, and enjoying that perfect sense of forgiveness and hope that you give to your people and yours alone. Lord, we trust you and we know that according to the psalmist David, those who trust in you will never be disappointed. Give us the grace and the hope, Lord, to move forward from this day with that heart of trust steadfast trust in you, the one true and living God. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thank you.